Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. They lived in the midst of a culture and, and a time when those issues were a part of that bigger spiritual battle that was going on in their culture. And yeah, even in the church, Paul needed to bring encouragement and to encourage them in the truth because even there in Corinth, they were kind of wondering, well, should, should it be more philosophy? Should it be more reasoning? No, that's why he says, no, it's the foolishness of the cross. Keep preaching the cross. It's the message of the cross. It's the message of the crucified and the risen Savior. That's what men and women, that's what young people need to hear. The greatness of God's love that he would send his son even to the point of the death on the cross. It's the foolishness of the cross that causes many people to resist salvation. But it is the same message which causes men to be saved. God's love for us will never change, nor will his method of salvation. Although men may have invented a number of ways to say we can be saved, it is the foolishness of the cross that remains the only way to God. In today's program with Pastor David, we're encouraged to continue in the simple truth that God lived, died, and rose again to restore relationship with fallen men. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, The Foolish and Weak Plan of God. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Verse 29, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devisings. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now, this is where he starts to move in to speak about Christ. But listen what happens. Verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. And so Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I don't know if you caught that or not, but at the end of his preaching time there in Athens, there wasn't a huge drive to the altar. There wasn't a lot of people coming to faith, a few he gave the name of one guy by the name of Dionysius, the Oropagate, and oh yeah, there was a woman named Damaris, and well, yeah, a few others. It's interesting when I look at this, and we'll get into it a little bit more. These other churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, many people, many prominent women, a multitude came and followed. Here, just a handful. 
It was then, after these things, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. You see, he didn't stay there very long. I don't think a church was really birthed in Athens. But once he arrived in Corinth, he went back to what he had done before. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, persuading both Jews and Greeks. Even in Corinth, there was still a great amount of persecution, but that comes when you're speaking the fullness of the truth, and man just does not want to hear the truth. There in Athens, yeah, they they mocked him a little bit. Yeah, talking about the resurrection, that's stupid. Nobody rises from the dead. Others said, well, that's kind of interesting. We'll hear you again. And then just a handful came to faith. The unfortunate thing that that I see in all of this is debating philosophy just did not have the impact as the opening of the Scriptures. Now, I'm not faulting Paul on this. Please understand, I'm just stating a fact of what I see. The wisdom of this world just does not persuade man. Now, Is it important to be able to have the opportunity to be able to do what they uh, call apologetic ministries? Apologetic ministries, by the way, doesn't apologize for Christianity. It just, uh, again, uh, gives reason for your faith and, and gives the background and the understanding of those things. But you cannot beat the power of the Scripture and opening up the Scripture and sharing the truth and the simplicity of the Word of God. Again, it's the Word of God, it's the wisdom of God, it's the Spirit of God that opens up these inner recesses of a man's heart, reveals the truth about God, and reveals the truth about man. It's the Word of God that does that. And that's why I feel that it's so important, not only for you and I to be regularly under the teaching and the instruction of the Word, but for we ourselves to be studying the Word and opening it up ourselves and reading it for ourselves. Now, all of that is said to bring us back to 1 Corinthians, okay? So again, that was the introduction. So now let's get back into 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, in verse 17 and 18, he starts out in verse 17 saying he didn't come to baptize anyone, but he says that he came to Corinth with the sole purpose of what? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. And then he says, but not with wisdom of words. I believe that what Paul is saying there, I didn't come to you like I went to Athens. Came to you with the simplicity of the message of the gospel. He says, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And then in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. you got to understand, the, the cross and crucifixion, that makes absolutely no sense to mortal man. Are you kidding me? You worship a God that was crucified, that was nailed to a cross? Like just a common man? What kind of a God is that? The very idea would have actually been repulsive to them in that day, it would be kind of like you and I sitting around the dinner table or fellowshipping and talking about the qualities of the newest guillotine or the strength of the new mixture that they're now using to put criminals to death. Now, they've got this new drug that they show. Oh, it's just great. It's wonderful, this, this drug that puts... Or, or the electric chair or, or some other point of execution. You see, we just don't talk about that. 
you have to understand that for them in that day and in that culture, that's what the cross was. The cross was repulsive to them. And yet for the Christian, they're now looking at it from the other side of the power and the strength of what the cross represents. Does the cross represent death? Absolutely, it does. But it represents a death that is powerful for you and I as a believer, because in the death of Christ, you and I have been made alive. And it's the power of the cross that does that. It's the power that God worked through the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection that now brings life to you and I. For the believer, the cross is the very power of God. God demonstrated his power over the very forces of hell and death. The cross was designed as an instrument of death, but by the power of God, it became an instrument of grace, an instrument of grace. And so when we look at the cross, you know, and I, I know the, the uh, Catholic Church, many times you see the crucifix and Christ is still on the cross. Beloved, our Christ is not having to suffer again on the cross. He suffered, as Hebrews says, once and for all. And he's no longer on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He is risen from the dead. And that's why there's power in the cross. Because through the cross, the death of Christ comes grace to you and I. And that's what God has done through it all. And that's why Paul, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he continues on in verse 19. He says, For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The Epicureans, the Stoics of that age, the philosophers of that age, none of them really had an answer to man's existence. They couldn't really say what happens to man after this life. They have no idea really what goes beyond what they could see and feel and and understand in their own mental capabilities. They had no idea beyond that. They didn't have an answer to man's existence. Neither did they have an answer to man's future and man's eternity. It's interesting to note, the first two leaders of the Stoic school committed suicide. It gave them no hope. It gave them no purpose. All of that self-discipline, all of that determination, and they took their own lives. They didn't have the answer for this life They had no hope, even in death. They rejected the message of God, and they rejected the foolishness of the cross, and yet that was what was sufficient for the sin of all mankind. And yet it was ineffectual for them because of unbelief. Not just for those that committed the suicide, but for all those that would not listen to the foolishness of the cross. The cross became ineffectual for them when in reality it was made effectual for all, for whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord. But if they did not believe, it was of no effect. And so God truly destroys the wisdom of the wise. He brings to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Verse 21 tells us that for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. 
but we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And, and to the Greeks, why, that's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Do you see how, with all the background of Paul's ministries as he's come to Corinth, now as he's writing to Corinth, all all the background of being in Athens, all the impact of the message that he had given elsewhere, all of this now kind of comes clear. All, All this wisdom, all this understanding comes to nothing. The Greeks, again, you know, it's foolishness. The Jews are wanting a sign. These people, they lived in the midst of a culture and and a time when those issues were a part of that bigger spiritual battle that was going on in their culture. And yeah, even in the church, Paul needed to bring encouragement and to encourage them in the truth because even there in Corinth, they were kind of wondering, well, should, should it be more philosophy? Should it be more reasoning? No, that's why he says, no, it's the foolishness of the cross. Keep preaching the cross. It's the message of the cross. It's the message of the crucified and the risen Savior. That's what men and women, that's what young people need to hear. The greatness of God's love that he would send his son even to the point of the death on the cross. And through the power of God, resurrected again. The Greeks and the philosophers of that age, they felt that by their own wisdom, they could reason their way to God. They could reason their way to God. Now, we have that today in our culture. We have people again, well, you know, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm being nice to my neighbor, hey, I help out and I I give to this charity, I, I work with this thing, I do this, I do this, surely God would receive me. And yet they are disregarding and rejecting the reality and the truth of what God has provided. In essence, what they're saying is, no, I'm designing God after my own image. I'm designing God after my own desire, that my God works in this way, rather than saying, no, there is a God in heaven, and I'm not him. You know? uh, there is a God in heaven, and I need to know him. They believe that they can form a God after their own image and create a God that's able to give them purpose and and peace and and reason, a purpose in this life in the midst of all the struggles that each one of us face, peace in the midst of a life even when we're surrounded by conflict and our own hearts seem to be continually in, in conflict. And even today, there's generations of people that have absolutely no direction and no reason for life. They live without a moral compass because they don't have a reason for their existence. And I'm not talking about somebody in the Middle East that's going out and doing all kinds of atrocities. I'm talking about my next-door neighbor and your next-door neighbor. I'm talking about your brother, your sister, the the guy that works next to you or the, the gal that, again, that you've known for years and years. They have no real moral compass in their lives. So they try to do the right thing. They try to be nice. They try to figure out, well, this must be the way. The only thing that's going to help them is the message of the foolishness of the cross. It's only in the cross of Christ that we have any hope at all. It's only in the knowledge of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf that there's any hope for anyone you say, well, pastor, that's not a very nice God. The niceness of that God is that he loved us so much. 
He sent his only son to die for us. Even while we were still wretched sinners. Even while we were still in rebellion against him. The search of the world right now, searching for some kind of earthly wisdom, it's just going to lead straight to hell. And the message of the cross to them is foolishness. But beloved, we cannot stop proclaiming that message. Paul faced persecution and mockery everywhere that he went. Rather he was reasoning with logic, or rather he was preaching the gospel. And he continued to preach the gospel. He tells us elsewhere, man, I, I've suffered shipwrecked and, and, and beatings and, and stonings, and I've been thrown to wild animals. I've been lowered over walls and baskets trying to escape in fear of death and often and uh, shipwrecked and, and out in the sea. He says all of these things. Why? Because the guy wouldn't stop. The guy wouldn't stop proclaiming the only one message that'll really change lives, that'll really take people from death and bring them into life. You see, the foolishness lies in the fact that their God, the one that they form with their own minds and fashion with their own understanding, has absolutely no power to save them from anything, neither in this life or in the next. You see, the work of the cross becomes effectual to the point of salvation only for those who believe. Salvation doesn't come by man's wisdom or by man's reasoning. Salvation comes by faith in the foolishness of the message that's preached. Foolishness to some, but the very power of God to others, especially, as he says, to those who believe. We're in the gospel according to Luke, and we're in chapter 11. And remember, we were speaking about the Jewish leaders there, and they were, they were asking for a sign. Oh, well, we'll believe you. Just give us a sign. And Remember the, the, the craziness of that. He had just freed the man from demonic possession. I mean, just right then. And then they come up and says, hey, give us a sign and we'll believe. You see, the, the Jews were requesting a sign. They, they wanted to know that Jesus really was from God, that his, that his power really was the power of God working in his life. And of course, you know, he demonstrated over and over and over again, healing the sick, miraculous, supernatural things going on continually in his ministry. They just would not receive it. They didn't understand, neither did they want to understand, the reality of God's plan and and God's purpose. They had already formed, the Jewish leaders of that time, they had already formed in their own minds exactly how God was going to work. The problem comes when God worked in a way that was different from their own interpretations, and when he did that, they missed the move of God. Aren't you glad we never do that ourselves? Well, I know, God, you know, I've been praying that God will answer this this way, and, you know, God's just not moving because that answer didn't come. When all the time, no, God answered it, but he answered it over here in a totally different way because this is where he's working his purpose and his plans out. And we miss God sometimes because we get so focused in on our own Godship because I've got this great plan, God. And if you just bless my plan, everything would be wonderful. Rather than saying, you know what, you are the sovereign God, and I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. The Jews thought they had the plan and the purpose of God all figured out. 
They were so blinded by their own wisdom and by their own understanding that they couldn't see what was happening right in front of their own faces. Here in 1 Corinthians verse 25, some really have a problem with this verse. It says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. People say, well, the foolishness of God, well, God's not a fool. The weakness of God, well, God's not weak. No, exactly it's not. Probably today's English version translates this section probably the best. It simply says, what appears as foolishness of God, or what appears as a weakness of God. That's the best way to understand that. Remember, the the Greeks thought that the the suffering and the servanthood of Christ was, was foolishness. There's no idea of serving someone. Are you kidding? That's not strength. That's not power. Strength and power takes authority over something. It doesn't walk in humility. It doesn't walk in servitude. So see, it was foolishness to them. And the Jews couldn't imagine uh, the wisdom or the plan of God that would lead their Messiah to the cross. You see, their Messiah was going to come in, man, he was going to take charge of things and, and throw off all the, all the burden of, of this Roman oppression on them. For the Jew, they just knew that surely he wouldn't let them crucify him. What these groups thought of as foolishness or, or weakness was actually the very wise and the very powerful plan of God to defeat the devil and to make provision for the full payment of mankind's sin. The foolishness of God that he would send his son from the heights of glory to take upon himself human flesh, to subject himself to the abuse of humanity. That's foolish, God. Why would you do that? Because in that, we now have a high priest who is acquainted with all of our troubles. We have a high priest who has been tempted in all things just as we are, and yet he was without sin. Because of the foolishness of God's plan of bringing Christ in human form, he then became that perfect sacrifice for us, sacrifice that none of us could have done on our own or definitely not for anyone else. The weakness of God. You mean, why didn't he just come in and take charge? Why didn't he just come in and and, and take over things and say, hey, I am the Messiah, here I am, follow me? We would have followed, wouldn't we? Whoa, great leader on a white horse charging through, knocking off the enemy? Absolutely, man. Sign me up. I'm on that team. But when the team says, no, you got to be willing to die to yourself daily, moment by moment through the day if you're going to follow me. I'm not, I'm not signing up for guys to ride the white stallions. I'm signing up for guys to sweep the stables, okay? I'm signing up for those that are willing to give of themselves for someone else's sake lifting up others and serving others. I don't want that job. I want the stallion job. I want to to reign and rule. But you know what? Before we reign and rule, and we will reign and rule, by the way, that is the end of the book, okay? We will reign and rule. But before we reign and rule, we serve and we die. We serve and we die. And beloved, that's the foolishness of the cross. But it is the wisdom of God for whosoever follows after that. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. That's what it's about. Open our hearts. Change us from within by the open word. 
The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.